Ready, Dave? Hey, everybody. It's Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants. I'm Jordan, and I'm here with I'm here with my friend. Hey, I'm the friend. I'm Dave Fox. That's the friend, my racist friend. Just kidding. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was try, trying to think of a They Might Be Giants song with the word friend in it, and that's the only one that came up. So, hey, I've got a new microphone. How's it sound? How's it sound? How's it sound? Sounds good. Okay, good. You have to answer in all the ways that I asked. Oh. So what is this episode, Dave? This episode is going to be, I think, our Lincoln wrap-up. This is a wrap-up. You've heard about a wrap-down. This is the opposite. <laughs> this is the opposite of that. We talked for a long, long time about the album Lincoln. Yeah. We, because we, we love it so much. We even cut a lot out. I mean, we don't even yeah. know. Um, we, talk, we talked a lot about Lincoln and it's sort of like I said, it's really, it's all in the only time we really will. So we might as well yeah. pump it out uh, at the maximum. <laughs> so that's what they say, right? We're going to tie up some loose ends yeah, today. Exactly. There's a few things to go over. We want to also just kind of have a fun episode to go over some emails. And Can't you tell how fun it is? It's fun. So, uh, so first of all, Dave, there's something that my girlfriend, Kristen, told me about West Side Story that I thought I wish we mentioned in the last episode. There's a line from West Side Story that two of the characters say to each other that they say womb to tomb. Oh. Here we go, Riff. Womb to tomb. Okay, so there's two versions of this line. The, the original version is, you know, they're sort of giving each other like a see you later, like we're, we're brothers forever kind of thing, right? So yeah. Riff says womb to tomb and Tony says sperm to worm. Is this for real? This is for real. Kristen told me this. This isn't a real play. And then they, they changed it for the movie because sperm to worm was too graphic. Yeah, it is. So they changed <laughs> it to um, birth to earth. Which is oh, pretty... Uh, that's beautiful. That's a good change. It means the same thing, but yeah. it's not as <laughs> evocative. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting because on an album where we 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 wondered if they were referencing West Side Story, then, the, you know, you've got this other moment in West Side Story that says to, womb to tomb. I just thought that was interesting. I don't have too much to say about it, but I just wanted to let you know about that. I think uh, I'm, I'm actually going to bring up some uh, egg and sperm stuff later. So I'm glad you... <laughs> There's some letterbox. I hope that's a segment. Sperm. I hope that's its own segment. Dave bringing up egg and sperm stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to get into the eggs. We're going to get into the sperms. Stay tuned, folks. We're Plenty g- of sperm to go around. <laughs> so there, I wanted to introduce a new segment. The only name I could think for it is, hey, I found that clip. <laughs> Can you find it? Can you find it? There it is. So the idea behind this, I, I, you know, I'm, I beat myself up a lot about this podcast. And if, if I mention a thing and then l- after putting the podcast out, I find a great clip of referencing a thing, I go, oh, I wish I put it in the episode. And it really frustrates me. This segment idea is a way for me to feel a little bit more validated finding these clips and of just kind of, you know, letting myself breathe a little. And <laughs> You could have called the segment Jordan's Redemption. Yeah, that's a, that is a good name. So uh, in the, a few episodes back, I mentioned that Flansburg, uh, the first time he had heard of John Linnell is when he heard that he had his 
an accident that caused his spleen to be removed. <laughs> and I, I wondered if people believed me because it's such a random story and it's not a very, it's not anywhere that I could find online. And But I did find the clip, so I'm going to play some of that. I'd like to hear that. My first impression of uh, John Linnell? Yeah. Uh, the first thing I ever heard about John Linnell is that uh, he lost his, he, he ran to uh, something when he was a kid and he lost his spleen. He was in the hospital. He lost his spleen. And I had to, yeah, you don't. It's like you don't have to have a spleen unless you uh, get pneumonia, and then it's really handy to have a spleen. But basically, it's it's kind of considered a, uh, you know, what is it? Vestigial? Is that the word? Uh, a vestigial organ. Like you don't need. It, it's evolution has sort of phased its it out. But he he ruptured it, and it had to be removed. And so everybody in the class had to like write him. Uh, like uh, get well cards. What what grade is this? This is like seventh. I was in seventh grade. He was in eighth grade, something like that. And uh, so like uh, so I just I wrote him something like very very uh, insensitive. I think I wrote him something something that actually I think was uh, just you know typical sort of harsh seventh grade boy kind of thing to write, and uh, it made a, a lasting impression on him. But he's he's a year older than me, so um, we weren't really friends in high school. So he was known as the boy without a spleen. Yeah, that's like the first thing I knew about him was that he didn't have a spleen. What'd you think of that? Uh, hey, I found that clip clip, Dave. I think it was all worth it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you didn't need your spleen. Yeah. Um, well, I need your spleen. Whoa. <laughs> so whoever, whoever made this sack of crap is uh, really dropping the ball. You mean God? I, if that's what you choose. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Don't need a spleen. Don't mm-hmm. need an appendix. Don't need a spleen. Don't need a spleen. <laughs> don't need a, both kidneys. <laughs> don't don't need a spleen. <laughs> Keep going. I mean, what do you need, really? I think anyway. you need the music of They Might Be Giants. Getting back to the show, folks. What's next? To, to give some background, though, um, I, I spent the past week uh, digitizing old cassette tapes because when I was younger, uh, before the internet, really, I mean, before the internet was really in full swing, I'd say, Rather than being able to send files, you could use the internet to give someone your address to get a tape in the mail. (laughs) So uh, most of this, or all of this, was from my friend Sarah, who we mentioned last time. I told her to listen. I don't know if she did yet. (laughs) Hey, Sarah. But she she made me this this tape with a bunch of They Might Be Giants interviews, and a lot of them she taped herself because she lives in Rochester, and it's all, you know, I have a tape called Rochester Radio Interviews of They Might Be Giants from them on the local stations. So it's pretty exclusive, unique stuff stuff uh that i don't think a lot of people have heard so i will be peppering those in throughout the future episodes and again our friend daniel is logging those for us which is mind-blowingly amount like a huge amount of work and a hugely helpful kind of work for us so every episode i want to go over songs of they might be giants and this is the lincoln wrap-up episode so the idea that we had was play some stuff that they were preparing for Lincoln, like the old demos and stuff. Now it gets a little convoluted because some of those demos we're going to talk about in the future because they're in other contexts that we yeah. want to, we want to fully uh, dive into and extrapolate from. But what we're going to play is Lincoln demos that are exclusive to themselves. Like they weren't on any other thing. And, and most of these were over their dial a song service back in the eighties. We actually have like this pretty long, um, you know, kind of uh, beta testing aspect to what we do, which is like we actually have a dial-a-song service in Brooklyn, which is just a phone machine that people can call into. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the weird things about uh, that, I mean, we, we started this very early on in our career before we even made records. <laughs> Having a, a phone machine 
uh, with it, you know, you finish, you know, you write a song and just be like, my new song, new song, check it out, check it out, check it out. And then put it on the phone machine. It's like, and the call would come in and they'd listen to the first 15 seconds of it and hang up. <laughs> so that, that was pretty good. Uh, uh-huh. you know, that was like real songwriter of college right. for us. Yeah. So I, I mean, I assume many fans know about this, right? About so, but a lot of you might not, cause I know there's some casual fans listening. But they had a song service over the phone. It's so weird to be getting into this because this is so uh, common knowledge for the Might Be Giants fans. But they had a phone service where you could call and hear songs. And it was a direct call to Brooklyn, 387-6962. Hi, this is Cappy Ernest Fidel of They Might Be Giants, toasting you for calling. They Might Be Giants dial-a-song service. 25 hours a day, 4,000 days a week. Crashing, crushing, destroying. Call back tomorrow for a new song. Pretty genius idea to do that when you can't actively perform. Yeah, it happened when uh, they both, they got their equipment stolen and they got... And everyone broke their arms Linnell, and legs. Linnell broke, they, they both broke their arms and legs. I think they're in like a... Rest- they programmed it with their tongue. <laughs> um, so Linnell broke his wrist in a bike accident, which will come back in the, into play in the future. So they would put a bunch of songs on the phone. People would call in. A lot of the early, you know, what could be called mythology about the band is the dial-a-song stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, dial-a-song itself, I think, originally seemed like (laughs) an incredibly bad idea. I thought we were going to get in trouble for doing it. And and I, I tried to talk John out of it. And uh, well, he wasn't having it. So yeah. Well, there was a period before phone machines were, were really widespread where you actually, back when AT&T was a monopoly, where you in New York City, you were supposed to register your phone machine with AT&T. Mm-hmm. Oh, which that's seemed, right. Which seemed like a, I, I mean, that. talk about Big Brother. What a weird, yeah, I remember that. You know, whose business is that? <laughs> you know. <laughs> You're yeah. going to tell us how many phone machines you have. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. where's it on your exactly house? Exactly what it says on yeah. And when a They Might Be Giants fan really starts to do the deep dive, they are given, they are bequeathed a, uh, there was a, bo- a, a couple bootlegs, a very popular one was called Power of Dial-A-Song. There's a new song every hour on They Might Be Giants Dial-A-Song, so call back in an hour after you hear this next song, and your call is next. Then there was Power of Dial-A-Song 2, and then there was one just that was called Free When You Call from Work. And a lot of them have the same songs, but there are some exclusives to all of them. That really is a way to build up your mythology, like you said. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a really cool underground thing. It's like, hey, yes. have you, you called this number, man? You get this crazy song, brother. Yeah, something Linnell said, which I don't know if I can find, if I will find the clip, but something Linnell has said is... The you sp- better find that the fucking sp- clip. <laughs> well, now I have an out. I have a way to, like, play the... I well, don't- that's why I made Dave's Retractions, because I plan on getting tons of stuff wrong. It's sort of the same idea, yeah. I, I like... I- Made no, up, not lately. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's true. I made up that segment because I, it's, I like to not put so much pressure on myself to find the exact right clip at the right time because sometimes it takes all day for me to find a clip. Yeah, put less pressure on yourself. That would be nice. So the one thing that Linnell said that's special about the service uh, that he thought was kind of like poetic is that it's one person is hearing one song, you know, alone. Right. They're alone with the song. No one else is hearing it. So I thought that was cool. And it just be, even in being in one ear, you know, basically, it's like just something that is, it's like an intimate little special thing. So it's like having your own concert. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In your ear. Uh, so this, these are some songs that were 
prepared for Lincoln on, and were presented on the dial song service. So some of you might be taken back by the horrible quality of these. Some of them aren't too bad for the phone. Some but of them are. To those people, I'd say, stop being so spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> back in the day, this is the only way people could hear music. Well, that's not even true. But uh, <laughs> so the first one I wanted to talk about, at, we're go, we'll go in order, and is Anna Ng. So, you know, imagine someone in like 1987 or something calling their phone and being like the someone was the first person to hear yeah. Anna Ng. Isn't that interesting? Maybe it was Anna Ng. Maybe yeah, someone in China or Vietnam yeah. uh, called Dial a Song and heard that. So, wow, the, the main big, you know, headline here is like very different lyrics. Um, yeah, yeah. They, they're conveying the same ideas. So they're not super different, but they're, the phrasing isn't as... Um, I guess I'd say it's fluid. It's a, you know, some of the word choices are like, you can tell. Do you ever get stuck with stuff like that? Um, with like how to make your, your lyrics the most direct and poetic and musical? Yeah. This, this always, when I hear these old dial songs, especially the ones like this, I always think about my own process. <laughs> um, Cause you're right. It is saying the same thing, but it, there's definitely like, it's like a, a gut, better way of saying it. It's a gut instinct because it's not like they're bad lyrics. So instead of make a hole with a gun perpendicular, he says, make a hole with a pistol at point blank range. That's still a good line, especially yeah, like you, you've got alliteration pistol at point blank range. It's like that. I works. love alliteration. I love it. Um, but, you know, make a hole with a gun perpendicular. I think it does flow off the tongue a little more. I mean, we can't guess every reason they would update the lyrics. Again, like I said, I think a lot of it is really instinctual. It just feels right. And I've had a lot of songs. I mean, there's a song on my album that i put out that i worked on for years that there's there's lyrics that i just couldn't think of a better version and i still felt a little wrong recording them and it was frustrating yeah. and i remember the night before recording it's my song all i've ever wanted um i remember sitting there with the lyrics being okay i'm recording this tomorrow i've, I've got to make these better i just couldn't i couldn't think of anything and i still like this <laughs> i like it but I, I always it's one of those where i'm like oh that that one or two words could have been a little bit could have flowed a little better. I've been like writing and rewriting one or two songs right now. Yeah. I mean, Dead on Friday is kind of in limbo. but That's I'm still, Dave's uh, band, Dead on a Friday. Band, Dead on a Friday. Any drummers out there? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been, I'm going to give a shout out to Carl. Why not, right? Yeah, My Carl. guitar player. And, uh, you know, we've been kind of practicing. How about Lenny? Some, <laughs> some new songs on a Kyle Carlson on our own. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm going through lines over and over again. And I'm actually having... For the first time ever, and maybe this is as I get older, I'm getting harsher about mm. my own, you know, lyrics. Uh, yeah, as uh, you cause, should. Because the novelty is worn off yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. I'm like actually having alternate lyrics for almost like, I don't know, every other line or every three wow. or four lines where I'm like, oh, I, maybe, or I could say this. And then I'll tell to Carl and be like, that's good. You know what happens is really playing it to other people for the first time and singing them. You get, yeah. I noticed that it shows too, is when I would do a song 
there'd be lines that I'd kind of mumble because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't think they were very good. I'd go, and I'm just like, why am I even, why don't I write something that impresses me? That's something I'd want to hear someone say. So, so a couple other little differences that might be worth noting in this. Um, so one thing I like about the melody that's different, he goes, you know, uh, walked in the glow of each other's majestic presence. <laughs> Did you catch that? I, I didn't. Oh, it's a little different. The lie. chorus. I remember our, Daniel, our friend, used to say he really. I think he said he preferred that. I remember him saying that yeah. one time. But it's it's a little more exaggerated. Instead of majestic presence, which is sort of like one note, one like note. majestic. It's majestic presence. I could see Linnell thinking that that would get old after four or five times hearing the chorus. You know, I, I think it's, I think he made the right call there. But it's kind of a pleasant. It's kind of like almost like a cutesy melody. Yeah, but other than that, I mean, yeah, we're not going to... The point of this episode is more to just like a casual episode. We're not going to, like, belabor everything, every single detail. I thought we should go over every word. Yeah. And of course, we played the different bridge, you know, on the last in the Anna Ng one, which I still think is pretty interesting. I don't want everything. Yeah, you know, it's it's a rough draft, but for a rough draft, it's pretty damn good. I think it, there are some dialogue songs that are very, very, very rough drafts. One's coming up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think is uh, ten seconds. <laughs> yeah. So that brings us to the next uh, Lincoln dialogue song. At least that fans have found the 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 tantalizing, frustrating thing is that who knows what what was out there. These are not complete recordings, you know? We don't even know. I mean, some of these songs are cut off. Like this, we don't know why. There are songs that just stop. Maybe <laughs> there was a murder. We can, yeah. So, Lie Still Little Bottle, the Lie Still Little Bottle dial song, I think is one of their ult ultimate achievements. I have to say, I'm pretty baffled by this one. Yeah, um, there's a couple dial songs of Flansburg <laughs> almost sounding like he's walking around the apartment yeah. with a tape recorder or something. I'm excited to talk about one, one of my favorites, with, but that's in the future. But uh, I, I feel like one thing, either something on their ends went wrong <laughs> and the phone cut out. But it's so funny, even in mm. in hearing, you know, kind of a couple of mumbles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There, there's still the gold there of pretty much how the song goes. Last year, little bottle. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's all, I guess that's all he really needed to get to. And then yeah. that's the song. Like, so, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. There is a more complete dial a song of this song that was played on the Franco Tool Show, but we are going to get to that soon when we talk about where I want to, we're going to, I mean, this, I guess this is a breaking news. We're going to do an episode about the Franco Tool we're Show. We're going to do it. Uh, <laughs> because to me, it's one of the most fun things that they've ever it's one of the most fun fan bootlegs and i want to like devote time to it because it's really special so they play that so we're gonna put that you know that's, relax yeah <laughs> so yeah the last bottle. Oh. it's it's really weird i don't really know what to say <laughs> about it i don't think there is much to say but you have it and it's we're god, gonna be complete as here god, god love you god love us yeah, it really does sound like at the end it's revving up to something and then it just stops. I, I wonder if it's the fan, whoever recorded it, maybe he got, got murdered <laughs> halfway, like you said. Well, there was some solo or something happening there. Yeah. 
Um, so the next one, I think this one is the most interesting, and it's the Purple Toupee Dial a Song. And this, oh, yeah. to me, this, this, is, this is like a totally different song. Yeah. It's crazy. So let's, let's I, hear it. And if you guys are hearing this for the first time through us, I think that's exciting. And thank you. And you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and here, thank you. And you're welcome. I love when he does that in the middle of the song. It's really funny. Um, this is almost almost a different song, right? It's quite different. It's very different. This is one of the reasons I wanted to officially introduce the idea of doing these dial-a-song demos, because some of them are totally different songs, in the which you'll find in, out in the future, and some are like this. I was down, but now I'm feeling proud. They stepped on my face, they told me I was bad. Now I'm flying planes, I'm a big important I mean, it's almost like structureless, like it's just a bunch of bridges, like every part is different. I mean, there's definitely the chorus. And again, it's cut off at the beginning. The Wikipedia thinks... So much murder. Yeah, the Wikipedia thinks that he's saying Cuba, like it's the Mm. the end of the other verse. and, And then it just stops again. So I don't know what the story is. I mean, part of the fun thing about dial songs is is they're so mysterious and and we we don't have a lot of they're not as ruthlessly cataloged as other like we don't know what was going on. This was just so long ago and they're kind of lost to time and I, it would be great if they did I mean they did put out some dial songs on their podcast and other stuff over the years, but yeah. very few. I remember how shocked I was like they I was listening to the podcasts that they do or they did, and they put like the Welcome to the Jungle dial-a-song that I had, I recognized it immediately because of the different lyrics. I was like, oh my God, it's the it's the one I only heard on the phone. So it's always exciting when a phone thing, when you hear the actual source tape of that. Did you call dial-a-song every day? Oh, I guess we should talk about that. Yeah, I called... Just curious. Const- well, yeah. Did you th- <laughs> so this is kind of fun. Me and Dave, we lived in the 718 area code. So it really was a free call. Yeah. Uh, do you think I shouldn't say that <laughs> when we were growing up? So we're we're from Queens. So it's seven. Say it. Okay. <laughs> it's not you, controversial. You look like upset again. Just my face. So we live in Queens. I'm proud that we're from Queens. Yeah. Why? What's your favorite thing about Queens, Dave? Um, that the Ramones are from here. Yeah. We invented punk. Sorry, Britain. <laughs> That's right. Wasn't the Sex Pistols? Nope. Oh, sorry, we invented good punk. <laughs> Uh, Suck it. Yeah, we lived in the 718 area code, uh, still do, and we I would call all the time because it was seven numbers. It was to, to to dial on the phone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what a phone is. <laughs> you know what a phone is. And I used to call. I used to call and put it on speakerphone while I was like making dinner or whatever, or, like eating a snack in the yeah. kitchen. I very vivid memories of of growing up. At, you know, being 14, 15 putting it on in the speakerphone in the kitchen. I don't think I ever called it, truth be told. Because That's I crazy to me. Because I just never 
thought of it. Well, you got to remember, I, I got into them later also. Yeah, but, uh, but you I didn't do call remember during like the late 90s even or Mink Car era. I'm trying to think. They were, they were previewing a lot of the Mink Car songs. I think I just didn't think of it. Or maybe, I know you called... Mm. When you know when we'd be hanging out, you called and played some stuff. <laughs> Excuse me, I have to take a call. <laughs> well, you just feel like, I'd hey, here's away. the Isla song. Yeah, um, I played it so for those, people. That I remember. Um, one I time, remember the wicked little Krita demo, demo, <laughs> demo. <laughs> when you say the title of that song, you your yeah, mouth yeah, gets all yeah. messed up. Yeah, I played that. Oh, contraire. Um, yes, the spine stuff. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It was going on for a while. I remember in my journalism class, not class, in a newspaper meeting at my school, I put on the speakerphone and I called Dial Song <laughs> and I tried to get everyone to like listen to it, but people were a little confused and not that into it. And I'm like, it's a number you call. It's a band I like and you could hear songs. It's exciting. And I think what might have happened is maybe I tried it a few times and it was always busy and I was just like, nah. Oh, it was always busy, but I, you I'm, know. I'm not that determined. I would just call and call and call and call. And one time I recorded, man, if I, I'll find this clip. One time it was, there was a weird glitch and it was something else and it wasn't them. And I recorded it. <laughs> I'll play that. If I, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I still have it. It was Motley Crue. It was some weird guy talking and I was wondering if it was them, but then they, they came out and said someone else got the number briefly and they got it back. It was a weird, <laughs> it was really weird. Let's talk a little bit more about that that purple toupee demo because it's it's so crazy. Purple's the shade that brightens in the grave. I love that. That's a great line, right? Mm. Is um, that about rotting? Jeez, uh, <laughs> down underground is where I found a popular revolution. Down underground, more grave. You know, the whole thing's about the grave. You know what's weird though? Yeah, I've only heard this a few times, but that doesn't seem like Linnell wrote it. It doesn't seem like a, a lyric from They Might Be Giants. I don't know <laughs> really? why. Really? Why? I don't know if I uh, get what you mean, but I'm always... I don't know if there is something to get. It just doesn't mm. strike me as something they would write. A popular revolution, maybe? Yeah, I guess it's too... Yeah, it's too blatant. I mean, it's very 60s. They're trying right. to... Yeah. They stepped on my face. They told me I was fat and that, instead of hair. They stepped on my hair and told me I was fat. Uh, now I'm flying planes. I'm a big informed man. Did you have a theory of what 60s reference that could be? Now I'm flying planes? No clue. I tried Googling like planes, some, you know, something that happened in the 60s with an airplane, and there wasn't really anything. <laughs> if anyone knows, email us at don'tletstartpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any theories on why the plane lyric would be in it, and it's by the specific. way, yeah. we're still we still have a couple of uh, questions floating in the air. Also, that we told you guys <laughs> to write in and answer. So, yeah. tell us who Leslie Downs is. <laughs> well, not who, but why? Tell us why you think that they, that person. Tell would us be why Leslie Downs is significant enough to mention in a song. Yeah, sure. and uh, other stuff I can't remember. Yeah, and and please do the email. Don't uh, do don't, the email, cats. Don't do anything else. Oh, one of one of my favorite things, and me and Dave kind of looked at each other during this part, is when he it goes ba 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 ba. <laughs> yeah, I like that a that, lot. I wish that was in the song. I do, I do too. It's quite I lovely. Agree. It's very very melodic. Uh, 
very 60s and very poppy, very like yeah. uh, power bubblegum pop. Yeah, you know? yeah, I love that. So this is one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite alternate versions or demos of a song because it, you get a lot of new <laughs> material in there. Like getting a new song. It's like getting a new song. So the Pencil Rain demo, there's not much because I suspect it's just the album version. It almost sounds, it just sounds exactly the same. Has all the Morse code, right? So, the you know, I don't think... I really think this is just the studio version. I maybe someone could really dig into the lyric, the vocal line and see if he says anything different, but it's all exactly the same lyrics, exactly the same horn parts and guitar solo and Morse code. I think it's just the same. So fuck that, right? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, and uh, also the same for I've Got a Match. It's just the album version, uh, as far as I can tell. Uh, next is a pretty different version of Santa's beard. Now, everyone, yeah. warning: this is atrocious sound quality. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to clean it up a little bit, uh, but I can only do so much. And I'm just gonna play a little bit, but so that you get the vibe. But it's it's pretty different. My favorite song. So yeah, um, much slower, right, Dave? Yeah, it's glacial. It's glacial. Um, yeah, they they have a habit of speeding songs up. <laughs> I notice. I think everything is better a little faster a little when it faster. comes to music. Don't slow stuff down. Uh, this is when I re really love to get the source of this because it's such bad quality, and it, it's you know there's like a whole different drum pattern. You know, if you really listen, there's like a harmony. It sounds like his voice is doubled a little. It might just be weird phone the phone uh, quality, but it sounds like his voice is doubled. It sounds like there's a whole different drum pattern, and there's some different lyrics. Instead of she always had this twisted side to her, you yeah, hear that. she always had a wicked sense of humor. So. I like the new, I like the what's on the album way better. Do, do you have any opinion on this? Yeah, it's better. Yeah. Um, it's funny, Wicked could almost, because they're from the Massachusetts. Massachusetts area, so Wicked is like a good thing. So I can see why, maybe that's why he changed it. Um, but yeah, this one's, you know, this one sounds like almost, not, not a different song, but like the vibe is is really different. And I think I think they made all the right calls there. I would, I'd love to hear a better version of this. The one on the album sounds a lot more stressed out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then there's just one more dial a song. And, you know, as a fan, I'm always hoping more gets discovered. Uh, a bunch got discovered recently. Someone posted to the Facebook group this, like, zip file of tons of stuff that they, they personally recorded in the early 90s. It was found in a mummy's tomb. Yeah. And uh, that had some great stuff. So some of uh, you'll hear some of that in the future. But the last one is Shoehorn with Teeth, which is a little bit different, but not that different. You don't hear much about stuff being found in mummy's tombs anymore. They walk the shoehorn, the kind with teeth. 
a girl. You think it puts it in the chair, but he doesn't get nervous. She's not really there. He wants to do or so the the main difference the horn arrangement is very different you know instead of a little more exuberant yeah and their vocals are a little more grotesque instead of the childlike way on the album they're kind of like scolding you know they're really cranking it up And the the main uh, difference, I'd say, is the harmony at the end, because they yeah. it's the harmony they end up doing live, where Linnell goes, he knows there's no such thing. Which on the album they restrain, like I said in the last episode, they don't harmonize, which I think is important to the point of it. Uh, but they, it was on the demo, so I thought that was interesting. You think they regretted taking it out and then put it back in the live setting? Maybe it's almost, uh, I kind of, I like it without it more almost. I get why live it's a good close, closer on the song because it feels like celebratory. Right. But on the album, I like that it just kind of ends how it began, <laughs> womb to tomb, right? Yeah, it would be too celebratory or something if it was the old way. Yeah, I feel, yeah, I don't know. I mean, these things are such subtle decisions, right? I yeah. mean, it's not like the song would be ruined with the harmony, but I, I, it is interesting that it was, I mean, maybe they did just forget. They are they are fallible, I think. So those are all the dial songs. The only other one I think would be fun to play, um, on the podcast, they released a really early Cowtown demo. <laughs> I'm going down to Cowtown, the cow's friend to me Lives beneath the ocean, that's where I will be Beneath the waves, the waves, and that's where I will be I'm gonna see the cow beneath the sea The podcast, Flansburg just said, from their original demo, Cowtown, uh, we, there's there seems to be a lot of like circulating original demos out there that they've mentioned. So I don't know, but uh, I'm really glad they put that out on the podcast. Hey guys, maybe put out more stuff like that because it's cool. I love their podcast. Yeah, it was great. Tons of rare stuff. Oh my god, it was. I actually went and I, <laughs> I edited the rare songs out of the podcast so I could listen to them as MP3s because some of them were not put out as its own as their own thing so it's kind of crazy I, I get why they couldn't uh do it once they got busy again Man, their pod their podcast um i'd say it's the second best they might be giants yeah. podcast mm -hmm. after us yeah uh tons of work like they made comedy sketches for it yeah yeah and flansberg introduced all the songs or or outroduced that's not a word that should be a word though you know exactly what it, a good word is one where you know exactly what it means even though it's made up you're onto something so i'm going Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> yeah, you can hear, like, the, the guitar is pretty rough sounding, and, and it, it, you know, the instrumental section is it's very different, but, but you know, the spirit is there. The spirit is, is I still think about Flansburg saying it's, like, his favorite song of theirs, and yeah, yeah. that's why it's nice to listen to that old demo, because it's definitely inspired. Yeah, I mean, structurally, it's still pretty all there. Yeah. So, you know, those are the Lincoln demos for now. There is more, but we're going to cover them in a different context. Sorry if that's convoluted, but there is a, there is a plan. 
and it will make sense when we do <laughs> when we do it. So now, uh, Dave, what are we gonna do next, ladies and gentlemen? It's time for Letterbox. I never know what you find when you open up your Letterbox. So we have a lot of emails because <laughs> partly because it's been um, a, a few weeks since recording. Um, an episode with Letterbox in it, right? Uh, but also because you, you people guys are, great. are awesome, <laughs> and you're writing to us, which is nice. So I don't think we're going to get to every single yeah we're... letter in the Letterbox. Our, no, our bag's overflowing, guys. Our yeah. letter bag. Uh, but we just wanted to mention a few things that we thought would be interesting. Uh, Mr. Calvin, first name is Calvin. <laughs> says i'm really excited for well i should say he says i'm absolutely loving the podcast so far which i'm always happy to read that so many compliments about me yeah (laughs) yeah unbelievable guys the love so he says i'm really excited for you to cover some of tmbg's later albums which i think are often unfairly dismissed or overlooked what do you think about that dave that that made me think a lot i don't think their later albums are dismissed i think they're mid to later albums are dismissed yeah me and dave have kind of hinted at our opinions about this but our i think our general vibe is that they might be giants are kind of in a resurgence like quality wise and kind of feels like the band again whereas for me um there's a couple albums in in the middle there where i feel like it it's like something yeah. is a little off not to spoil well i should backtrack because i don't i don't really know what the general fan opinion is yeah of yeah, these I'm not albums, sure but <laughs> i just know in terms of like me and jordan lately i don't know what do you say past five years yeah, five, yeah. 10 years on maybe mm. uh last five ten albums i don't know um <laughs> uh, we've been really digging again um and they seem to have acknowledged this too so this isn't just us like there's been there's been interviews with flansburg where he he sort of echoes what we're saying and not that uh i don't I personally don't really like dismiss anything that they've done. It just, no. I would say it's not like in heavy rotation as other stuff. I think those will be really interesting episodes yeah. because they're the, the, um, the opinions that we have are all over the map <laughs> rather than just, I love every song. Yeah. There's, there's, there's songs that are like, Oh my God, it's one of their best songs and it's on this album. And then there's like, right after that song, we'll be like, Oh my God, it's a song. I really <laughs> am not that into. Um, so it'll be interesting. It'll be different, uh, partly because, the nostalgia value is not there because we're talking about stuff that I, we listened to when we were in high school, when yeah. I, especially for me in junior high. That's going to be not an, an element of the show when we get to the later albums because it'll be stuff that is very recent. Even 10 years, it's kind of, you know, it's like your late 20s or it feels like recent enough yeah, yeah. that it's not like I have fond memories of listening to the else, you know, it's like... Well, I was going to say, unless there's a specific visceral memory attached with something... There's a couple I can... Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Which I definitely have... Yeah, with a few of the albums, but we will get to that. But um, Calvin, thank you so much for writing in. Thanks, Calvin. And uh, we're excited to get to later albums, too. Okay, so the next letter in the letterbox is from our old friend, Britt Barnes. Britt Barnes. We got to make like a little theme segment for her. Jordan's going to make one song for every person that writes in. Oh, my God. I'm going to do a wicked bass solo on it. Yeah. But Britt Barnes had a really interesting point that I wanted to read. Uh, She said, uh, hey, fellas. I know it's not your true intention of the pod, but I'm enjoying learning so much about New York. Mm. It's one part of the TMBG fandom I could never relate to, myself being a Californian. Mm. I believe that where an artist grows up often gets reflected into their music, and giving us West Coast folks some inside knowledge on the area helps a lot. 
Jordan, I wanted mm-hmm. to talk a little bit. Sure. I I actually am very interested about the New York connection uh, to music, or in general, the where you uh, exist connection to music. It is it is a almost a coincidence that we're from the same place they might be giants are from, which I didn't think about going into the podcast, and I've never thought about really it because to it's just always been a fact. Yeah. It's like yeah, they're from they were band was formed in Brooklyn. I'm three miles from Brooklyn. You yeah, know? Yeah. It's just not something I've ever thought about, but it, it is interesting that the fans all around the, the world and the, the country, New York is as maybe as mysterious to them as, as the band is. I well, I forget that people aren't from New York. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Me too. Um, and I, I did write back to Brit um, just saying, I do. I definitely think like where you grow up informs what your artistic style will be like. And, uh, you know, when you're a New Yorker, you have a little bit of the paranoia. You have a little bit of the uh, neurotic tendency yeah. um, that I don't think you get in the West Coast. I told her, I, you know, I went to L.A. Mm. a couple of years ago and um, just how bright and cheery everything was made me really uncomfortable. It's it's what Seinfeld said once. You can't write comedy on a beach. <laughs> and it's funny because me and my friend Matt once we we started a, a band briefly called Special Friends, and we once met at a beach as a way of get you know let's have a writing session, but let's like make it fun. Let's go to the beach. Yeah, and it was true. It was too. It was just kind of nice, and we just kind of felt like walking around. And whereas um, when you're in Manhattan and you're in other places like that are very crowded and full of. I guess you could say full of life. Character. Character is a better way, yeah. There's a lot of characters in it, New York. It inspires you to to think of ideas and to, to think of things that retaliate against what you're going through. Like, oh, this guy was just mean to me. I'm going to, or I saw some guy yell at another guy. And there's a pace uh, issue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> everything kind of makes you like hurry and a little bit like rushed and a little bit like worried. People who aren't from New York City uh, walk very slow. And people who and you're all wrong for doing that. People who are from New York City walk a little faster. They walk correctly. <laughs> or in my case, extremely fast, as if I'm being chased. It's, it's a sore spot with me and my <laughs> girlfriend. I walk a lot faster than her, and I swear I don't, I don't intend to. It, I can't. It's very hard it's to. It's the New York shuffle. Yeah, <laughs> it's really hard to slow down. It's really hard, and and I'd say my own music, and sort of like what Dave was saying. I'd say Dave's music too. There's a lot of angst and a lot of uh, yeah, yeah. stress. A lot of stress, stress, a lot of yeah. neuroses. I'd call my own music kind of jerky and neurotic, you know. I mean, I, I I always say that I was inspired by Talking Heads, you know, from the way that their songs are, they sound like very tense, you know, like kind of stressed out. And well, New York. We're both, yeah, me and them are both coming from the same sort of source, you know, which is, is that And I, I mean, I already mentioned like the Ramones, you know, coming from not only New York, but yeah, from Queens. Like, them, I don't think that's a coincidence that they kind of uh, invented the genre Mm-hmm. From Queens, yeah, and from my high school. Do we even right. say that? The Ramones yeah, went yeah. to my high school, Forest Hills High School. And years ago, this will be fun to post to the Twitter, but years ago, when I was on the school paper, I wrote an article <laughs> uh, kind of shaming my classmates for having bad tastes in music. And in the article, I said something about how, like, oh, no one even has heard of the Ramones who this went to this school. Like, no one cares. Mm. Uh, now they renamed the street outside of the high school Joey Ramone yeah, Way, yeah, awesome. which, like, if that had happened at the time when I was there, I would have felt very moved and I would have yeah. felt a little more at home. But the no one around me knew who the Ramones were. Yeah, yeah. You know who else went to my high school, Dave? Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer. 
And you know who else? Simon, Simon and Garfunkel. Garfunkel. And Isn't you know who else? Who else? Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> really? I yeah. Didn't, I didn't know that. Yep. So Well, my, you got some research to do then. And you know who went to my elementary school in Queens? Uh, Maury Povich. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, nice. And Charlie Chaplin lived in Kew Gardens for a while. Yes, too. that I knew. That yes. I knew. Uh, so yeah, it's it's. What was our point? <laughs> our point was that you know the. I don't think it's a crazy coincidence that a lot of our favorite bands are come from New York and come from Queens <laughs> specifically, a few blocks away from literally where we're sitting right now. So and when we saw the the Ramones documentary and it's called End of the Century. Yeah, or, yeah. By the way, one of the most depressing movies. Oh, that's a great documentary. You'll ever see. Yeah, because it's great, but it's extremely sad. And we both yeah. le- we both left the theater very uh, in low spirits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of it is about having nothing to do in Queens and having uh, being bored, <laughs> which like me and Dave, you got look at our creative output. I mean, this is something you're introduced to it through this, but me and Dave for years have done, we've done comic books, movies, albums, music, it, weird things that aren't even anything <laughs> like just sketch comedy. It's like this. Yes, that's right. We were in a sketch comedy troupe. We're just this being in Queens and being where we're from and, there, there's a certain atmosphere. It's a little, it's outside Manhattan, so it's not as hurried, right? I mean, there's certainly stuff to do in Manhattan. Well, I was going to say, you're describing like where the name of my band came from, <laughs> Dead on a Friday. Please, yeah. yeah. It's it's not supposed to be um, sinister or um, horror-based. It's just supposed to be about having nothing to do yeah, I, and feeling desolate and abandoned on a Friday Yeah, <laughs> with the weekend coming in Queens. Exactly. Up. Oh my God, that's so true. Yeah, and a lot. Yeah, a lot of my songs are about walking around Kew Gardens and being like, "Ah, this everywhere is closed. I don't know what to do." You can see the Manhattan skyline from a lot of where we live, so it is a little weird. It's like just out of reach is this exciting city, but we're kind of on the outskirts of it. It's a weird mix because it's not suburbia. It's not like we're like these bored suburbanites. It's a little no, bit of it's a still very jam packed and yeah, crowded. it's a mix of things. We're kind of in a quiet area in New York City, though, so it's strange. I should say though. Uh, I have just about the California thing. Uh, California. <laughs> That's what a California band sounds like um, to me. <laughs> a large percentage of the punk music I like is actually Southern California punk rock, like Bad Religion, Social Distortion, uh, No Effects, bands like that. They're from the Southern California. Do their songs region, sound so. like California? No, they they don't. And it's kind <laughs> of interesting that they do have that aggression. I don't know. It's a different kind of aggression than the East Coast. Yeah, they're aggression. stuck in traffic a lot, right? Um, <laughs> Maybe they all write songs when they're stuck in traffic. I mean, I know they have, you know, the nice weather and the beach and the surf culture and all that and the skate culture out there. That's a good point. Surf culture. If you want to know a huge difference between New York City and California, surfing is just so it's like nonsense speak to me. <laughs> like, I just don't understand it and I don't get it. And I tried watching this show, John from Cincinnati. You ever hear of that show? I've heard of it. It was by David Milch. And it was kind of a weird prestige HBO show in the vein of Sopranos and right. And it had like twin peaksy stuff. Like there's a part when a character is floating and he's like, oh my, I'm like a foot off the ground. What's going on? It was Ed O'Neill, who's really great in mm. that show, by the way. I only watched two or three episodes because it was all about surfing. And it was all the surf culture thing. And, oh, there's a big surf competition. And I'm like, maybe the people who can't get into Sopranos because they're like, I don't like mafia stuff. Like, I can maybe it's the same thing for Sean from Cincinnati because I'm like, this show is hard to watch, even though there's yeah. interesting things happening. Yeah, so to wrap it up. Um, or wrap it down. Right. So to wrap it down. Yeah, I think a lot of um, where TMBG is coming from is 
informed by the uh, the New York experience, and they, you know they'd have a lot of New York references mm-hmm. um, sprinkled throughout. The puppet head video is is very New York. <laughs> we are we are happy to talk about more New York stuff, and uh, it thought it was. I just thought it was really interesting that that was brought up to us because we. I guess we kind of take it for granted because we live here. Yeah, you might say we have a New York state of mind. Next up. So the next letter we got was from someone who's been very very supportive of us. Uh, uh, Never is how she signed the email. And man, she she said some great, uh, insightful stuff about the songs. One thing she said about Cajun Aquarium, she says, quote, I think the narrator is not necessarily against the counterculture, but what he's saying is that look at what has become of it. Look at how the culture is no longer counter. Used to be different, now you're the same. It used to be the surprising new thing that was very against the grain. Used to be this revolutionary political force, and now it has been absorbed and reprocessed into nostalgia. It's a Halloween costume. Man, she should she should have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's good stuff. Uh, yeah, I think that kind of echoes a lot of what we were talking about. It's like it's a song, sort of making fun of the '60s. Yeah, and it's what Linnell was talking about with Purple Toupee. Is yeah. that he he just saw? I guess he just doesn't see the value in nostalgia, and I can yeah, see yeah. that. For they think about a lot of things that way. When we saw them do a duo show recently at M- Music Hall of Williamsburg. Linnell kept being adamant. He kept. Do you remember this? He kept saying, "This is not a nostalgia show." <laughs> this is we're, we're we're getting to the portion of the show where we do songs that we didn't do in the eighties because we didn't write them till the, you know, the O's or something. But, you know, this is not a nostalgia show. Well, for me, he said gratefully. This is more like a you know, data recovery show. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I'm, I'm uh, as ready as I ever will be. Yeah, exactly. Because they were doing new songs in the duo. Yeah, they yeah. did Trouble, Awful, Devil, Evil, yeah. um, which was really awesome. But Linnell was just like, I remember before Don't Let's Start, he was like, here's an oldie. Like, he seemed like a little cranky about the idea of... I think they're always a little wary of going back. Yeah, yeah. I wish they wouldn't be so that we could hear some of those old dial songs. I, I get where they're, where they're coming from, though, because when you're around that long, mm-hmm. uh, you don't want to... Actually, my favorite band, Bad Religion, said the same thing. Is like, if you're not putting out new mm. albums, you become a vintage act. Yeah, Frank Black sort of said that about the Pixies reunion. He's He just said, like, all right, we did all the reunion shows. Like, I'm not... He's like, I'm a songwriter. You don't want to be trapped in a time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thank you, Never, for writing Thank you, in. Never. Never is Never is an awesome person who has been very, very, very complimentary. She sent us a few messages about how much she likes the podcast. So it means a lot to me. <laughs> Does it mean a lot to you, Dave? So next up, we have uh, Michael. I wish I could say his last name because I love it, <laughs> but we won't because he said not, we didn't know. We don't know. I keep. Yeah. We keep forgetting to say, like, if you want to have your first. Yeah. Let us know or, what we yeah. could say. Uh, and if That'd there's anything really you don't want read on the air, like you're just telling us something that then say that too. Right. If you're telling us where the bodies were buried, you know, let, let us know. So we don't give up your location. I want to know because I want to dig up some bodies. Um, so Michael. To have sex with them. Michael says <laughs> hello dave and jordan i am really enjoying your new- hello <laughs> hello michael um you're, i'm really enjoying your new podcast looking forward to witnessing its evolution i wanted to make a suggestion i think it's fully evolved that the- <laughs> no improvements could happen i agree that the analysis of tmbg songs uh you both have interesting you both have interesting <laughs> 
insight. <laughs> that can't be true. Um, <laughs> into the material, and it's really enjoyable to have these songs get. I the like that we're like MST3K riffing the, the, the emails. That's fun. I wanted to say when I saw this, not to interrupt you, Dave, but this email <laughs> popped up on my phone, and your phone only shows you the first line. And all I saw was I wanted to make a suggestion, and I tensed up, <laughs> and I <laughs> I put my phone away for ten minutes because I was like, I'm not in the mood to have someone you know suggest stuff for the show or criticize the show because I'm I'm quite sensitive. And then his suggestion is that he loves the show and keep doing yeah. what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Michael. That was yeah. all, that was the best suggestion we could get. <laughs> Anyway, Dave, continue. Um, where was I? Uh, even if there is not a fixed interpretation for these songs, Lord knows of their opacity. Your analysis of these songs is really enjoyable. Please, more of that. Keep up the great work. Um, and then he says, postscript, are the John Henry's demos any good? Mm. So, yeah, I just wanted to read this because yeah. I think that is an interesting uh, topic where, you know, the first episode or two, we said we're really not going to interpret. Yeah, I think um, I'm not sure if it's people understand why we said that and then quickly <laughs> went against the idea. I think we're realizing it. it's almost impossible not mm, to extrapolate yeah. and to just wonder what yes. the songs are about. I mean, to me, yeah. that's the most fun part. I, it's hard to ex I, I find it hard to put it put this into words. What I was going for when I said we're not going to interpret much is that I wanted like the mystery of the songs to kind of remain and the elusive nature of so many of them. Uh, I don't. It's hard to put the word. I I wanted. I just I can't help but talk about what they might be about. Well, I was going to say I think if you balance that with a lot of the references and evidence and research stuff yeah it's a lot easier to connect dots yeah dot connecting is a good way of putting it i'm not trying to say john and john made this song about this i, th yeah. I do think some of the fan interps are a little too um confident mm. <laughs> when maybe they they shouldn't be um it's more about um putting something out there and trying to trying to craft maybe a an underlayer of what's going on in the songs without maybe giving away what the top layer is does that make sense it could <laughs> it could if you dream it hey, dream big <laughs> um and yeah so that's, that's something that's going to come up in in bits and pieces over the uh over the courses of many episodes is the interpreting and what's the right way to interpret and what's the wrong way i was actually i was talking to chris stangle in emails about this for a while actually about interpreting is i think we both have opinions opinions about this that are hard to express <laughs> because I don't want to seem like I dismiss people's interps, but I, and I but I also don't want to be open to literally any interp because some of them seem clearly off to me. But it's like I don't want to be well to me. That's the fun part because if you yeah. have the evidence and you're you're, it's like stating your case for the court, and it's like well, <laughs> yeah. if, if you have evidence A, B, and C, it can't possibly yeah. not be like the stand on your own head about animals thing. Like if someone gave me a thing that's like, no, it's not about that because of this. And I go, whoa. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. You're right. The animal thing was way off, but I've the animal thing clicked a lot. Like a good interpretation is, a good interpretation is when it like every line falls into place after you right. put them under that umbrella. But I also think it, it like there's so many sides to a song. There's what the song there's what the story in the song is. There's what the character singing the song is maybe like. But then there's not every song is the same. The songs are all songs require different methods of opening them up. So they're not all a story and they're not all a character and they're not. And some of them are and some of them aren't. And some of them are like an opinion about the world and some aren't at all. And it's so it's all different. It's, it's a confusing topic. <laughs> Well, so I think, Michael, uh, I, I really like hearing Jordan's interpretations. Um, 
and they make me actually think about songs in a different way. So if if any interpreting is happening that's half cogent, it's because uh, <laughs> it's being presented to me for the first time here. And a lot of it is my first time too. Like I don't, I haven't sat and thought about every single song. Like uh, especially for the later albums, that'll be our first times, I think, because I, the later songs, especially when they start putting out like fifty songs a year. I haven't sat with them. No, you're right. I mean, literally, when we're sitting here talking, I can have a moment. They just released like, oh, 30 geez. songs. <laughs> well, that too. But, <laughs> While we're talking. Um, no, I could have, uh, and you hear it in the podcast, Journal say, I just thought of that right now. And yeah. I, I think a lot while he's talking. And also, Michael, uh, for the postscript, the John Henry demos are great. I have conflicted feelings. Uh, I, I love that they put that out. Yeah. But I want to hear earlier demos than that. You think they sound too finished? Well, they're very fit there. They sound so close to the album and, and it's, it's certainly interesting. I, I, I in fact, I want to give them another listen, but we both know that there are home demos of those songs that are more in the style of the eighties material with fake mm. drums, fake bass. That would be such a special thing to hear because that would almost be like, like a blend of the full band and the, you know, and, we will get to this, but they we've heard some of these demos on Dial-A-Song and they're, they're super interesting and they're a little more small in scale. And my dream would be that they go John Henry demos album two and it's those, right? Yeah. That's what I really want to hear as a fan. You know, I'm not covering my ears with the what they released with the John Henry demos because I think it's awesome and especially awesome how great quality they are. But uh, there are things that I'm super more interested in uh, and it's those. So, yeah. So, in other words, <laughs> you like them. They're still worth getting, of course. Okay, so the next email, uh, Spencer wrote us an email. Uh, a lot of stuff in it, and we, we don't have time to get into all of it. Uh, something we thought was amusing was he says, I love that they use 16 tons as inspiration for Lie Still Little Bottle. It's weird to me that there are people who don't know the song because I've heard it my entire life as one of the songs my dad sang to me as a kid when he put me to bed. <laughs> it wasn't weird then, but now as I think about it as an adult, it's a really strange choice. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Spencer, it was. it's weird. <laughs> we don't have much to say to that i just thought it was a funny image a dad tucking a little boy into bed and singing well he's basically saying Some like when people you... sing the man <laughs> is made out of mud <laughs> he's saying when you grow up you're gonna be screwed yeah i mean part of a larger point here is i mean i liked they might be giant songs when i was young, a little kid you know even before i was a fan I, I don't, I think people worry too much about like appropriateness of songs to play to kids. Like kids will just, yeah. you can attach yourself to anything. You don't have to know what something's about. I don't, I don't know what They Might Be Giant songs are about still, and I'm yeah, attached yeah. to them. So, Well, I'm just wondering if he was contemplating those lyrics as he was falling asleep. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one. Really quick, a friend of mine, uh, an online friend of mine, Blake, he wrote he wrote us a, a story <laughs> of him performing Dr. Worm for his theater class, and it was a very amusing story. Uh, it's, it's too long to read because we don't want this episode to be too long. He said he got tossed a top hat and a cane for the big finale. <laughs> very vaudevillian, uh, I think appropriate for the song. Uh, and it was it was a pleasure to read that. And Blake is, is a good guy who's always been very supportive. And he's also very funny. He's a funny guy. His tweets and stuff. 
Funny tweets. Oh, uh, well, one thing we'll, we'll read with the last line of his email, which is, uh, they can throw me on the streets without a penny to my name, but no one can ever take away my 2007 lip sync performance of Dr. Worm in an underfunded Texas middle school. And I think that's that almost, says it all. Yeah, right that's there, almost like a song lyric, the way he said that they can throw yeah. me on the streets with a penny to yeah, my name. Yeah, just put it to the uh, 16 tons yeah. melody. <laughs> Another email that, this is a lot of emails, isn't it? Another email that we thought. We, well, we were really backed up. Yeah. Kenneth says, the first time I heard Shoehorn with teeth back in 89. Wow. My initial thought was that returning to the womb was some sort of weird reference to having sex. So that whole couplet essentially would be, you can't contemplate mortality when you're consumed by momentary pleasure seeking. So this is something, I I said this Mm. to him, but I I was kind of trying to say that. uh, Like I was trying to... It's weird doing this podcast because as you people can hear, I kind of talk a mile. People, I talk a mile a minute, and my brain isn't always uh, good. (laughs) There's a lot that yeah, exactly. There's a lot that I leave out that I'm fully intending to say, but the episodes go for two hours, and I'm like, okay, let's move on. I I always did assume returning to the womb is is a veiled reference to possibly reference to sex or a multi-meaning like sex, but also there's a lot there. I mean, it's Freudian and there's a a lot going on at once. Having sex makes a baby. There's, don't you think? I just wanted to say, I, I, Kenneth phrased it very well. Um, but I, I, I was, yeah, sometimes if I don't say something, it's not because I haven't thought of it. It's just because, uh, I talk too much and I'm trying to, trying to wrap things up and down and (laughs) trying to move on. Anyway, Dave wants to read the next email. Yeah. So this next email is from Gabriel Vargas, uh, who is the son of the man who ran the local comic store in our neighborhood that I worked at. Uh, Daniel worked at. Jordan was a frequent patron (laughs) at where we all kind of met and commiserated. Yeah. To go into our history very quickly, uh, I met Dave through Daniel and I met Daniel. Well, I met, I was in the same Hebrew school class as Daniel when we were a little younger, but we hadn't really become friends. What made me become friends with him is that I walked into the comic book store that he worked at and he was playing monopuff. <laughs> mm. And so they might be giants is one thing, but walking in and hearing the first monopuff album, yeah. I was like, Oh, this is a big, they might be giants fan. Let me talk to him. And then, just one thing led to another. I mean, I don't have all the, I don't remember all the details, but I just kept coming back to the store and hanging out and maybe we saw the band. Maybe we went to their show. Um, I I do think we went to the first show that we both had, which was at Roseland. And uh, yeah, so this, so we got an email from the, the son of the people who ran that store. Who we, yeah, knew when they were like really, really young. Yeah. (laughs) And now they're, 45. No, I don't know. Now they're old <laughs> and it's it's mind-boggling. The part of his email I wanted to read that I thought was interesting, he talks about how he's getting more into They Might Be Giants now actually because of the because podcast, of <laughs> um, which is really cool. One thing he says is, I'm sure it'll come as no shock that it wasn't until I heard Rest a While that my eyes widened. That's a punk song to me. What do you guys think? Did they have any more songs like this? Know any reason why this had such a different sound than the others? I was a little mystified by him thinking it had such a different sound than the others. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it just sounds, I mean, it almost kind of has a John Henry vibe, or maybe it's a little thinner sound. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about the production of, of stuff. I think maybe comparatively to the more um, drum track, backing track kind of stuff, mm. uh, this is a very, I mean, I assume this is a full live band um, playing this. I mean, it's real drums. I'm pretty sure it's the first Dan Hickey performance. There you go. So 
Uh, I mean, that's one big reason probably why it sounds more <laughs> punk and more uh, lively. Yeah, it's very lively. He's an amazing drummer. Mm-hmm. It's very lively. Uh, it's it's a song I, I really love. I actually covered it, uh, <laughs> which I was going to get to in the future. But it's funny to, for someone to say it's a standout because I never would have thought that. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what uh, connects people to the songs. Um, I wrote back to Gabriel. I was saying a couple of songs I think that are in that vein would mm. be Dig My Grave, uh, mm. Stomp Box. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the newer ones. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, that, that's kind of in that vein. Um, I sure. think they sprinkle in these kind of very punky influenced songs every now and then in their albums that just kind of wake everybody up. Yeah. I, I remember um, I've had jobs where I've had to make playlists of like accessible rock. Yeah, they exactly. might be giant songs. And I, I did have I did have one. Maybe I'll find it and post it because uh, it, it's probably a pretty fun playlist. But I did have one called like tmbg rocks and it had it probably had rest a while and i know it had a lot of john henry and it had you know it had had a lot of these kinds of songs so uh what i said was i think they do have a a slight punk influence in terms of the brevity of songs mm. and getting to the point and you know we talked about cbgb's and we talked I, this episode growing up New York. i just digitized yeah. the interview with lance we're talking about the ramones and stuff i know yeah i know he's a huge ramones fan so i don't maybe not aesthetically it's necessarily in a lot of their music, but I think but that I, ideologically there. the punk style the, is there. The snottiness isn't there and the aggression isn't there, but the wise assness is kind of there, <laughs> right? Well, and also the, the you know, turning things on their ear and um, not not going with the mainstream. Yeah. The more, the, I, th- I would say like the more us. artfulness <laughs> yeah. of the like punk us. rock. Art punk. Yeah. Um, or Flansworth calls it art fuck, which art I, like, fuck. I like a lot. So anyway, I thought that was a interesting topic that also RIP Comic Den. It was very sad for me when that yeah, the yeah. store closed down because it's the store we all met at and hung out at all. I didn't work there, but I hung out behind the counter uh, all the time. Uh, so Gabe, thanks for writing in. Uh, we'll talk. So uh, we have two more emails, uh, two exciting ones. <laughs> the first one. So my my online buddy, <laughs> if, if I'm allowed to call him that, Chris Stangle, who used to post in the news group, who I talk about, he had great interpretations. He's we've been emailing back and forth about a lot of interpretations and stuff. And he had some great things to say about pencil rain that I wanted to kind of sum up. One thing he mentioned that the line in the song finale of seam is a reference to the poem, the emperor of ice cream. I like how that sounds. So the emperor of ice cream by Wallace Stevens, it says, let B be finale of seam. The only emperor is the emperor of ice cream. Almost sounds like a line that'd be on their kill, kids album, kill kill album, kids albums, <laughs> right, Dave? So he he does point out Linnell would later do a Wallace Stevens poem live as an unofficial Tennessee state song, which I think is a cool. I love making those connections. I placed a jar in Tennessee, and round it was upon a hill, and made a slovenly wilderness surround that hill. The wilderness rose up to it and sprawled around, no longer wild. The jar was round upon the ground and tall and of a port in air. It took dominion everywhere. The jar was gray and bare. It did not give of bird or bush like nothing else in Tennessee. So he says that the third line 
uh, may or may not be a reference to the eternal moment. You know, the line says the moment that some call eternal. So the eternal moment is a short story by E.M. Forster. And, you know, thinking of the first three lines of Pencil Rain as literary references is, you know, could be could be the key to something going on there. Okay, so now to quote the email directly, he says, Linnell especially will invert, subvert, or twist a line, like a reference, just enough to break its neck. So the impossible dream is possible but doomed uh, because everyone dies. <laughs> the eternal moment goes insane. And with Emperor of Ice Cream, he's quoting Finale of Seam, which is, uh, as Stengel puts it, the line basically means all illusion and metaphor is stripped away. The idea of stripping metaphor away is such a they might be giants thing because part of what Linnell does sort of almost jokingly in his lyrics is that he'll present to you a very obvious metaphor like pencils are really it's this is a song about war but then every line it gets so specific about the pencils mm -hmm. that you're like wait maybe it's not a metaphor maybe it's just what's happening and he always says my the lyrics in my songs are are just what's happening mm. so you know, one thing Stengel mentioned is like the idea that the infantry stands and hold out, holds out their hands is like, is it to catch the pencil? Hmm. <laughs> like that's a line I've actually never thought about. But he says the, the whole idea of Pencil Rain is that it's kind of an approach to the 1960s war song, which really fits into the 60s Americana yeah. stuff that me and Dave talked about so much with the Lincoln thing. So he says, compare Pencil Rain to a Phil Oaks song, another connection, like One More Parade, which They Might Be Giants covered, or his famous protest song, I Ain't Marching Anymore. These are all anti-war songs, but they're more specific and nuanced than War Sucks, which it does, he says. Um, like, I agree. Like They Might Be Giants, Phil Oaks is known for piercingly intelligent lyrics and mordant cynical humor. For I flew the final mission in the Japanese skies, set off the mighty mushroom roar. When I saw the cities burning, I knew that I was learning that I ain't marching anymore. I Ain't Marching is about Vietnam, but it's narrated by a sort of eternal soldier who has been present in every U.S. war and keeps wearily insisting he's not going to march again, but ends up marching again. Clever metaphor reveals an eternal death march. The title phrase is negated by its own lyrics and history as endless repeating circle. Linnellian. Uh, I agree with that. That is a, that is a very Linnellian. Yeah. So he goes, the pageantry, the heraldry, the perishing. That's what the refrain emphasizes about the battle. The thing about war songs is we're looking for what they say about war. And this one's about building up the honor of the fighting boys and the mighty battle they're about to enter. And then the wasteful, horrific scene of mass death and destruction. But the reverence of the sacrifice ends up glorifying the whole thing, which is a pretty good summary of that song. Yeah. So anyway, I, God, we don't have time to read all this. He wrote me this great stuff about Pencil Rain and how Linnell uses metaphors and how they're kind of jokes, but they're not jokes. And it's it's almost hard to describe, but uh, the stuff was great. And we could it, it made me feel like we could just do a whole episode about Pencil Rain, which is a song I had said I wasn't that into, but I've kind of changed my tune. Yeah. What yeah. do you think? I, I said I liked it. So... Uh, he wrote me more stuff about other songs, which I might get into in the future. Uh, he, he is a, I, I like his brain. <laughs> I told you Pencil Rain was good. Yeah, that's right. Um, so we got one more email, and this is kind of a, if you stuck with, with us, <laughs> this is sort of your, re your reward. <laughs> this is your reward. This is kind of a bombshell. This is crazy. Um, I, I'll let Dave say the bombshell. Really? <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm honored, but 
I just feel like it's only appropriate since you've been a little wee babe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fine. I'll say the bombshell. Bill Krause emailed us. Bill Krause. Bill Krause emailed us out of the blue. Clear blue sky. <laughs> Clear blue sky, Jerry. So what do you think of that? Yeah, so Bill Krause was uh, there. We're not joking. No. Uh, <laughs> Bill Krause. If you don't know, I mean, we've talked about him already. Yeah. But um, if this is um, your first episode, uh, Bill Krause was the third guy, really. He ran their sound. Yeah. Uh, he produced their first albums and all their demos, too, from the 80s. Very instrumental in the early. The sound, yeah, the sound of the band. Yeah. It's like John and John had all these ideas, and he really helped make it into a reality is kind of yeah. what I, it's kind of what I see what he did. Cause you know, it's one thing to make demos in your apartment, but like you, you need someone to help you. <laughs> it's like, I need someone to help me with this podcast. It'd be nice. Well, You make them a reality. So he's a really special figure in the, they might be giants history, basically all their eighties material. He's, you can see him in gigantic. He talks yeah. about working with them and we owe him a debt of gratitude. Damn yeah. It. Yes, there should be Bill Krause Day. <laughs> I'll take it. Every third of the month. Um, so he wrote us an email uh, giving us some fact... Oh my God, I still can't even believe this. Uh, giving us some factoids and trivioids <laughs> about the band, uh, about stuff we talked about for Lincoln. Um, maybe, maybe Dave, do you want to read some of that? First thing you said is, there's no fuck you asshole in the instrumental section of Cowtown. Now, Dave, are we sure this is really Bill Krause? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I already knew that wasn't there. Uh, but it was nice to get, you know, that's pretty crazy to have something I've been wondering about for 20 years finally be confirmed, right? And also, I just think it's nice that Bill Krause is clearly, like, really listening and oh, no, he really listened. invested. He found the show and listened, and that's awesome. He also says, Dr. Kenneth Nolan is not a real doctor. But he is a real worm. But he is a real drummer. I, do you think that's what Linnell based Dr. Worm on? Holy shit. Dude, I wonder. I don't know. Do you think that always, because it's weird. So yeah, he says he's not a real doctor, but he's a real drummer. Um, And in terms of uh, kind of what we talked about, our, our suspicions about Lice the Little Bottle. Yeah, um, why real drums? There was no master plan about having someone play live on Lice the Little Bottle. It was just that all the songs on the record, that one needed to swing in a way that we weren't going to get from a drum machine, which yeah. is kind of what I was saying. I wonder if the drum machines back then were more restrictive in terms of the timing, like the measures, yeah. right? The, the the beats per measure, because now you can certainly well, do yeah, that. Now, it's now there's literally, crazy. like in Logic, there's a thing that says swing, and you can crank it up. There's the humanize button. Humanize, yeah. <laughs> That's a very TMVG-ish concept. <laughs> the button that humanizes. <laughs> I'll read the next factoid, uh, which was super interesting. Uh, TMBW, Wikipedia, get your get your hands ready. He talks about the Joe Franklin show, which I've met. Oh, I, I was so, uh, Dave, I spent all last night YouTubing Joe Franklin show, hoping to find anything, any of them on it. Like maybe someone uploaded something and no one had caught it. So Jordan, I have to confess. I don't know what the Joe Franklin show is. If you want to say a little for me and the other people out there. It was a talk show that was kind of, I believe it was a local New York show, though maybe, mm -hmm. it, maybe it spread out to more beyond New York, but it was very New York-y. And uh, I dig. he had just all sorts of huge guests on, um, the, like on YouTube, you can find there's the Ramones is on. Yeah. And the Ramones saw fit at that moment to turn the music establishment upside down and, and dare to be a little bit different. Right, Marky? Right, to make the song shorter, more, more to the point. 
a lot more exciting. Uh, instead of 10-minute extended guitar solos, we shortened, shortened these things down to the way singles used to be in the 50s and 60s. Uh, and uh, it worked. It worked out just fine. We believe in the two-minute, two-minute and 30-second approach to a song. All these crazy things, Spinal Tap, <laughs> and a lot of all the comedians, all that stuff, and They Might Be Giants were regular features, and the, there's a tiny clip of them with funny hats on, Ugh, and gigantic, I think. <laughs> and I want to see this footage so bad. Like, I, there's a reason to go on living, is that maybe one day <laughs> someone will, like, release the Joe wow. Franklin footage of They Might Be Giants. Anyway, what Bill Krause says... The toupee in purple toupee is a convoluted reference to Joe's hair, which I once said was a color not found in nature. This got quoted in a story about the Johns leading Joe to ask me if I thought he was a fucking asshole. Uh, and he said that that very much upset him because he loved Joe so much and he didn't mean to offend Joe. So, yeah, purple toupee. I, I, well, I don't think this negates what, you know, Linnell has said about the 60s stuff. It's interesting that the... We try to say in this show that like the idea that songs have a lot of different inspirations and they're about a lot of things at the same time. So the idea that the idea of Purple Toupee, while probably, you know, he also said it's a reference to Purple Rain and all that stuff. Raspberry Beret. I think what Bill is saying is the first spark was something that he said about Joe Franklin's hair color, which is so funny and interesting. And also kind of paints more of that New York picture of them going on this weird show. And then, yeah, going going back to something that was already said about Piece of Dirt, but it's just fucking cool to hear bill Krause talk about it mm-hmm. um as you discussed piece of dirt started out with more traditional drum sounds the mix wasn't going well and john and john went out to dinner while i kept banging on it i was completely frustrated at not getting it to work and needed to approach it with fresh ears and started substituting sound effects for the original drum sounds almost at random mm. i thought they'd hate it and i was surprised and delighted when they decided to go with it yeah yeah so i had said he was being a prankster but i, I think <laughs> i do see what he's saying that it was more out of just a, a last ditch attempt to, to make it the song work because i've i've had this experience oh my god it's like something is not right about this song yeah it reminds me of a. Uh... Something I heard about um that Smashing Pumpkin song Disarm when they <laughs> okay. they left the studio it takes me back and yeah. they're yeah I don't I'm not a big Smashing Pumpkins guy but uh yeah their producer put that violin track while they were gone just to be like oh here's a, some string section it's like a sample then he didn't get like yeah yeah <laughs> and Billy Corgan is like oh that's it that's the song um so then he goes on to say. I never heard the term pencil rain before Linnell used it. So that's more, I'm still really interested in where that, where I, where I heard someone say it in a movie. But then he says, I seem to remember Linnell programming the Morse code in pencil rain and that it, it is indeed from Cielito Lindo. So there you go. I mean, I was wondering if where that trivia came from and it seems like basically confirmed. I mean, he says, and yeah, he says it's indeed. Indeed is a strong <laughs> word, I would say. And it's cool to know that Linnell programmed the Morse code. I'm always interested in which John does what on the songs, you know? So the next thing Bill said was there was a practical reason for the fake tambourine on I've Got a Match. We didn't have any room for a real one. <laughs> um, we were recording on 8-track tape, and one of the tracks was devoted to a sync track to control the MIDI instruments. All the drums and keys, etc., were triggered by the sync track. That left seven tracks for all the guitars and other live instruments. Uh, and vocals pretty much anything that didn't have to go on tape didn't go on tape so yeah that answers i I had questioned why fake tambourine in such an emotional sad sounding song whereas lies the little bottle has real drums and that that you know makes it clear i mean i i do wonder how many of those early decisions 
that feel very um, like intentional artistic decisions were actually just like, fuck, we just have to do this. Yeah, limitations or maybe like, well, we're running out of time. Like Star Wars. Bill also said, Hilly Crystal's vocal on You'll Miss Me just wasn't good enough and we didn't want the song to be just a novelty track. It was an experiment that didn't pan out. There were a lot of those. Deciding which worked and which didn't was everything. I I think that's a really important way of phrasing it uh you know yeah, yeah like it's that. the especially the first album really experimental and it, yeah it's it's so easy to go one way or the other with something that becomes novelty and something that becomes art <laughs> right yeah, yeah. Uh, something that becomes kind of timeless and interesting and something that becomes just too goofy um yeah man i still want to hear the hilly crystal <laughs> track what i would assume from what he said is maybe he just probably was just off and just not really very good to listen to well i think this also goes back to what we were kind of trying to say about bill cross's role or just the producer engineer's role in general yeah they can really make or break mm. um especially if they have um a good overview of all the songs a little bit more objective yeah um from the people performing on them that is um, important to have that objectivity good producer. <laughs> i've never really experienced that <laughs> i have I, I the guy that recorded both dead on a friday albums yeah uh Dave Andronico, I'll say his name. Yeah, he, yeah, he was just, it's really good. I, you know, we spent so many hours just me and him alone, especially mixing uh, or deciding what, even what takes to do or anything. Having someone that has a really good knowledge of music and what sounds good and what will work uh, in practicality, not just in, you know, the mind of the artist, uh, really important. So, so then, damn. Uh, so then I didn't let Bill go without asking him who played banjo in Stand On Your Own Head. Uh, and he said he's not 100% sure, but he believes it was Linnell because he says Linnell's the kind of guy who can pick up an instrument he's never seen and go, which end of this thing do I blow into? And five minutes later, he's fluent. I could see that. Um, I still think it sounds incredibly intricate uh, for what, what I've heard of Linnell's playing. Like, I know Linnell plays on Counterfeit Faker, the banjo, yeah. but <laughs> when you hear that, you don't go, whoa, how did he do that? He's just kind of slamming banjo chords that sound a little bit sloppy so i i still kind of interested in that uh but wow thanks so much for answering you know what he did and for just kind of like we said unprovoked emailing us all these things about the songs it's very exciting yeah thank you so much thank that you. was a real thrill i'll try to say i'm more excited that was a real thrill it takes a lot to get dave excited it's it's not you it's me i i just <laughs> everything's so tiring so we have one more thing before we go we're gonna make this quick but it's our my favorite segment maybe unrelated thing i was thinking of an unrelated thing and this is where we talk about something that has nothing to do with they might be giants though there might be some uh maybe connections or i I like to try to pick things that i think they might be giants fans would like maybe dave do you want to go for you want to go first? So my unrelated thing is a person. <laughs> Whoa. Um, Dave is a fan of a, of persons. Yeah, and, and this will make sense. Um, so again, I, I don't know how people feel about this segment, but if you don't want to hear it, you could skip it. You could you just turn like it. it off right um, now. Yeah, we won't have anything else except maybe another secret email we got. <gasps> Whoa. No, just kidding. Oh. Um, that was just to get people listen. So this might be kind of a long walk. For, they might be Giants fans, but just hang in there. You know, you might like it. So Brendan Small, for those who don't know, he's a comedian, he's a musician, he's an artist. There is a They Might Be Giants connection (laughs) that Mm -hmm. um, Jordan just reminded me of. And that he was the co-creator, along with Lauren Bouchard, of Home Movies. 
Yeah. Um, which was a really funny, really cool uh, Adult Very Swim cartoon. Uh, yeah, it had a lot of heart. It had a really cool improvisational But not in a cheesy style. way. Like it was, it was um, all kind of under the surface. Uh, Berkeley, I think. Berkeley School of Music. What's that place called? Um, so he's just this guy that has a lot of different talents and he started with doing animation when that, uh, show was over. He went on to do Metalocalypse, which at first I really didn't like because I thought it was <laughs> too specifically about metal. It was about very unlikable characters and mm, they were all just yeah. like this dumb, unlikable metal band. Um, it wasn't until I saw the, there's an episode where they're trying to make an album that I thought it was really hilarious because okay. it's incredibly relatable how hard it is to record an album. There's a scene where like the lead singer who's sort of the six foot tall grumbly guy, he wants to record his vocals wearing a full suit of armor. Okay. Because it's very metal. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, and the producer, <laughs> knowing that he has to like record this album for this sort of multi-billion dollar band, just kind of very gently goes like, ah, oh, maybe try it without the suit of armor. So yeah, just watching that episode, I was like, oh, like this is like a love letter and making fun of um, like big metal bands, for example, like Metallica, um, that sort of have, you know, millions of dollars and can do whatever they want and are great, but are also kind of silly mm. and maybe how serious they can take themselves. But I was shocked when I realized that he does all the music for the show. Yeah. And the more I learned about him, so he's basically like a genius prodigy at guitar and probably mm. a lot of other instruments. Um, it's very different than they might be Giants music. Yeah. It's it's metal and specifically it sounds like death it's metal or black and metal. Louder. But Metalocalypse, I mean, it was a comedy they have a lot of funny songs if you listen to the lyrics i wanted maybe we'll play a clip of this they have sure, one sure. song it's called the lost vikings which is a very metal sounding and you know like black or death metal sounding uh <laughs> title but it's literally about vikings that got lost on their way to the battle so like they got lost <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the vi go. viking version yeah There's a line that's hilarious in the song where they say like they come upon like an old witch or something, but they're too embarrassed to ask her for directions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe some of like the sly humor and sarcasm is there after Metalocalypse was canceled. Um, he went on to do Galacticon, slightly more accessible because he's not singing in the low grumbly voice that's supposed to be sort of making fun of black metal. It does also have humor behind it, and he calls it a Galactics uh, high-stakes space opera. Okay, um, kind of like for science, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So it's more based around sort of growing up with Queen and there's like tons of crazy harmonies in it over the metal. Uh, there's insane guitar, insane drums. So I don't know if any uh, listeners out there into more heavy music, but I listened to Metalocalypse and, you know, these kind of bands uh, after talking about They Might Be Giants and listening to They Might Be Giants yeah. as sort of a palate cleanser, something totally opposite. I think it's good. Um, there's been a lot of like you dip your toe into a genre you're not that into because of reasons like that like it's a comedy show or it's someone you let you're a fan of who's doing it i think it's fun to kind of do that yeah so also uh, along with galacticon he put out a comic book series uh, along with the album to kind of like expand on the story he's the writer on that he's not the artist but he's a guy i really admire in that he has a lot of different interests and i actually got to meet him once at this tiny performance he did with just him at a uh, saint vitus me in and, brooklyn me and dave are fans of people who 
you can play very small rooms. <laughs> I've, this has happened to me many times with uh, musicians that I'm that I love yeah. is that they're playing a tiny, tiny room with almost no one there, and I'm like, what? I'm surprised there wasn't, you know, I don't know, a thousand more people there. Mm. And um, you know, I talked to him. I just said, like, how do you how do you do all these different things? And he he was really interesting answer. He's like, well, when I get like bored or stuck on one thing, I like to jump to the other thing. That's why I have all these disciplines. So just to wrap it up, check out some of what Brendan Small does. Uh, if you started with home movies, maybe check out Metalocalypse. Mm. It's a very funny show. Maybe check out some of the albums he's put out or the comic book he just put out this year. Uh, and that's my unrelated thing. Unconnected and free. Mine is actually kind of related to yours because it kind of comes from similar circles. So what I, <laughs> I'm laughing just thinking about it, but what I'm going to recommend is called On Cinema at the Cinema. These are great movies! When you got movies like Tom Cruise in them, you can't lose. Six bags of popcorn, two sodas. It's On Cinema at the Cinema. I'll me. try to sum this up. Uh, well, so this is Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington. And sort of like Brendan Small, Tim Heidecker is a songwriter. Actually, the first time I ever heard of him... Me and Daniel, we went to see a show and the opener before the, the person we were going to see was Tim Heidecker's masterpiece, uh, something. And they, he had this whole musical about Pearl Harbor and it was hmm. incredible. Like we, this was before he was famous. This was like the late nineties or whatever. This was before Tim and Eric, this is any TV show. Right. And I remember me and Daniel in the audience were like, this guy, this is amazing. This is like a really, it was a really funny musical. They had a, it was called Pearly Harbor. <laughs> and it was, I had all these girls singing songs and all this. He was, it was like crazy. So anyway, he's kind of similar. He's like multi-talented, but mm. I've actually never been very into Tim and Eric. It was a little, it's a little too revolting for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, though I do think it's funny, but it, yeah, I I've have seen a, a couple of things from him. Yeah. I have a hard time watching it. <laughs> It's too viscerally disgusting, but uh, I'm a massive obsessed fan of On Cinema, and what On Cinema is, is him and Greg Turkington, and you'll know Greg Turkington, uh, he's Neil Hamburger, <laughs> that's his persona, it's like a fake comedy persona, like his catchphrase is, that's my life. Why was Jim Morrison buried in a coffin that was 10 feet long? <laughs> Well, to accommodate his dunce cap. <laughs> so it's both of them sort of as character versions of themselves because it's their real names and they're doing a, it's a YouTube movie review show. <laughs> and why would you want to watch that? Well, kind of the concept is that it's like long form serialized storytelling that's extremely dark and funny and character based but in the format of these like eight minute youtube movie reviews and there's a lot of jokes being balanced at the same time one of them being that they love every movie <laughs> that mm. they talk about so every movie gets like the full rating no matter how bad it is part of the joke of the show is that they love mediocrity so like they're obsessed with jack reacher and <laughs> like they're they always uh, rave over the hobbit movies you think those are mediocre? Uh, I saw the first one. I never saw them. Oh, there you go. Um, <laughs> another running joke of the show is they hate each other. <laughs> and they have a horrible friendship where they're constantly hurting each other. Uh, our movies today, one is called Turbo, which is a 3D animated movie starring actor Reynold Renal, uh, Ryan Reynolds, one of my favorite actors, Burt Reynolds' son, uh, Paul Giam Giamatti. So this is another great animated movie about a freak accident that might just help 
an everyday garden snail achieve his biggest dream. I love this movie. It had everything for me. It had great adventure, comedy. I give it five bags of popcorn and five bags of soda. Five cups of soda. Yeah, I love the movie too. So I would give it uh, five bags of popcorn and a little shaker of salt because that's how you kill snails in your garden is you salt them. Mm. Well, we wouldn't want to kill the hero of the movie. No, but Um, I mean if you have snails in your garden. Um, I just thought it was so interesting how I knew, was watching the movie and I never knew what was going on, which I liked that sort yeah. of era of mystery. Uh, in other words, I didn't know I was confused. I was confused too because when I first got the email about this one and it, um, the letter was cut off so it said Turbo 3 and I was like, I've never heard of Turbo mm-hmm. 1 or 2. And then when I actually opened the email, there was a D well, after the 3. It was in 3D. Yeah, that's not necessary. That's... Keep that junk to yourself. I'm so tired. Another running joke is that Tim's Tim's character always gets into these disturbing medical fads. So there's like a whole season where he gets he like is on this like protein powder or whatever that like <laughs> makes him his body break down. There's deaths on the show. There's like <laughs> horribly dark stuff that happens and there's spin-offs into other shows. So like the characters themselves make a TV show in the show that you could watch separately mm. called Decker that's inspired by Jack Reacher. <laughs> and it's like a it's like a spy, like Mission Impossible type show that's hilarious. It's the joke is that they're really bad at making this show, but it's it exists almost separately. It actually aired as a separate thing in like other places. So it's kind of crazy. So to sum it up, uh, this has been one of the funniest, most enjoyable things I've ever watched. Um, the show kind of continues on in their Twitter feeds that are in character where they review movies and argue about like, like if Greg tries to review a movie on Twitter, Tim will say that he's legally not allowed to do that because it's outside the scope of the show. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I've seen them live, you know, yeah. I've seen them do the show live. The character of Tim was on trial for murder and they, you could watch <laughs> his whole trial in real time. And it's, it's almost, a, it's not even like in the format of a TV show. It's almost boring. Like it's real time <laughs> where you're seeing the, you're seeing them wait around for an hour while before the like it's really crazy i mean it's it's sort of beyond what you would think is normal entertainment um but it's also some of the biggest laughs i've ever had in my life like literally having to pause it and like crying from laughter was watching on cinema and they do oscar specials every year where they do live like five hour <laughs> live Oscar specials that are completely insane. Mm, so I, um, so if, if you're interested, there is, uh, I know there's like Reddit threads and there's YouTube playlists that kind of put everything in order because there's so many tangential things that it gets a little confusing, but people online kind of like they might be giants fans. They're very obsessive. They got it all covered and they, they put them in an order. So that's my thing I was thinking about today is uh, how great and underappreciated and how funny on cinema is. I'll be thinking of an unrelated thing. So that's the show, Lincoln Wrap Up. Dave, any last thoughts for now on Lincoln? I don't think I have any thoughts left on Lincoln. Yeah, I feel a little t- exhausted <laughs> from talking about Lincoln. I'm excited to move on to, to different a different album and different yes. songs. The next thing we're going to do uh, is Miscellaneous Tea. I'm pretty sure that's decided, right? So the 80s B-sides, sure. songs left off Lincoln, some of my all-time favorite They Might Be Giant songs. Maybe Dave thinks that too. I don't know. We're going to find out. We sure will, Jordan. We sure will. Uh, keep those emails coming. A coming. 
and follow us on Twitter at Don't Let's Pod. I've been very active in preparing stuff for the Twitter feed. <laughs> from, I have not. Um, I've been going into my old storage space and dusting off all these old They Might Be Giants things that I'm finding. Some really crazy stuff that I'm very excited to share for you. I'll try to find more. So, or any. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I'm more of a pack rat than Dave is, which is why I have all these stuff from my entire life. And Dave's apartment is very clean and uh, organized. <laughs> and so that's this episode. We'll be back in a bit. Miscellaneous T1, there's a lot to prepare for. Those songs are actually extremely dense. Uh, so we're going to we're gonna prepare that for you for a, a few, you know, maybe a few weeks. And uh, but it'll be worth the wait. Uh, so, Dave, you, you look like you have something on your mind. Well, you know what? I was going to end the show, but I think I'm going to leave that to a couple of friends of ours. Oh, oh, here they are. They're coming in. I, let's let's give them the mics. Okay, here here you go, guys. Paul, Paul Meyer. Oh, good morning, Joe. Hey, come on over. Pull up a chair. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Thanks. Sit down, Paul. Say, I've just finished the morning paper, and I'm ready for my second cup of coffee. Is that so? I've been hoping I'd run into you. Yeah. Hey, Max. Got another coffee customer for you. Okay, coming right up. You know, this guy, Max, is a great guy. He owns this place, and he makes a good cup of coffee. Yes, I know. Here you are, gentlemen. I didn't expect to find a salesman drinking coffee this late in the morning. How long you been here, Joe? Oh, I don't know. I guess 30, 45 minutes, maybe. Why do you ask? You must be making a lot of sales, piling up a good income. Oh, uh, I'm doing all right. I could do better, but... Oh, I get it, Paul. You've got the needle out and back on that old time is money kick, right? Not back on it, Joe. Still on it. Okay, okay, okay. So time is money. You know, it's a good expression, but it doesn't really mean anything. Time's a lot of other things, too, you know. Time is happiness and... Well, time's a big pain when you're waiting for somebody. That's right. And time is timing. When you're in trouble with your golf swing like I used to be. But you know, Paul, I got that lick now. Now, let me tell you about it. You see, I used to have this grip that was... For the next 30 minutes, I listened to Joe Anderson's description of how he finally overcame the problem. Why?